Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be discussing The Chosen. I have uncovered some sermon outlines that were created by The Chosen and the Come and See Foundation, which is the nonprofit ministry of The Chosen. And these sermon outlines are prosperity gospel-ish, seeker-sensitive, definitely, and the type of, pros- uh, type of preaching that would be found at a prosperity gospel church. So that's what we're going to be talking about in today's video. We're going to be exposing these sermon outlines that were created by The Chosen. Um, and we've covered The Chosen a lot on the Evangelical Dark Web. We will continue to cover The Chosen in the future. I got more content on The Chosen prepared. But I definitely uncovered some stuff about The Chosen inadvertently that I'm now going to share with you all. But first, I want to let you know Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon-like system, but the least you can do is like this video, subscribe to the channel if or podcast if you are new. Uh, we also have a free Evangelical Dark Web newsletter, which is a good way so you don't miss the story behind the story if I don't make that into a video. So let's dive on into that. Uh, Inside the Chosen's Prosperity Gospel Sermons is the title of the article that I've written. So the Chosen has had a troublesome year despite being the most profitable TV show marketed to Christians. Earlier this year, the Chosen showcased the pride flag in their behind-the-scenes promotional content. The Chosen has since doubled down on that. Uh, Dallas Jenkins would claim that the Chosen is not a ministry. This, in actuality, is a lie. The Chosen... In an effort to escape from Angel Studios, launched the Come and See Foundation, which is a 501c3 in order to collect donations to pay for the production and marketing of the show. These, by the way, are the two biggest expenses of any film project, marketing and production. All this occurs while The Chosen is a for-profit company. Dallas Jenkins has claimed that The Chosen only makes money through gift sales and commercial licensing. The former is a is its merch shop, which includes devotional materials. The latter would include DVD sales, ad revenue from YouTube, a share of theatrical releases, and a cut from its distributors. So, long story short, The Chosen is a ministry, as it is a company with a non-profit arm, And together they put out ministry materials, including sermons, which will be exposed here. Evangelical Dark Web has uncovered some actual sermons, uh, sermon outlines produced by both the Chosen and the Come and See Foundation. There are six, uh, six sermons based on clips from the show. A couple of fun facts about the sermons. Only two of them mention uh, sin. Only one of them references the resurrection. None use the word cross. So in other words, none of the sermons present uh, present the gospel or point to the gospel. And one of the sermons has a fourth point. So they're all standard three-point sermons except for one, which has a fourth point. Ooh. So anyway, um, the first sermon that I uncover is the 5 plus 2 equals 5,000. This is based on the feeding of the 5,000. So 
here is the sermon outline. This is real. You see the uh, the logos down below, the Come and See Foundation and the Chosen. Um, so as someone who's done a lot of Photoshop involving the Chosen, I can tell you that that's real. So the Chosen uses a, a slightly off font from, uh, what is it, Times New Roman? So they use a slightly different font than Times New Roman. It's slightly different. And in my Photoshop, I use Times New Roman because you can't really tell the difference. Um, but anyway, that's real. These are real sermons. And I, I just wanted to show you the proof. All six of the sermons are hyperlinked for download. And the only thing I've altered is the file name to make it more presentable so I know which sermon I'm looking at. I cut down the file name. That's the only editing I did to these files. So with that transparency and disclosure uh, disclosed, and um, and I'll do a follow-up on how I came to find these sermons later. Um, you know, it was 1.30 on a Saturday, or a Friday night is when I uncovered these sermons, but we'll talk about that story a different day, because that's part of a, a different story that I'm working on, um, which is also a follow-up to a, another story that I've done in the past. So, 5 plus 2 equals 5,000. You only need to bring what you have and yourself and watch God multiply it all many times over. So, that is um, one of the points in the sermon, but it's also the dominant thought in the sermon, so I've subtitled it with a dominant thought. And you'll see that these dominant thoughts are very wishy-washy. So, this is a sermon that references the resurrection, yet that is its most orthodox point. The sermon is the most overtly prosperity gospel in that it focuses on God multiplying what we give him. The third point, you only need to bring what you have and yourself and watch God multiply it all many times over incorporates the two preceding points. So it's a three-point sermon like, you know, five of the six are. And that's the third point. It's also the dominant thought because they just build on each other. <clears throat> so here's a quote from the sermon outline. The scene from The Chosen hints at this prevailing mindset in a fun way. As Jesus starts to set the miracle into motion, one of the disciples says, This feels familiar. In season one of The Chosen, the particular disciple Thomas was a first-hand witness to the moment Jesus turned water into wine. Tucked away in all of this is a simple truth for the little boy, uh, for the disciples, for the sea of people, and for us. You only need to bring what you have in yourself and watch God multiply it all many times over. <clears throat> and yet this simple truth isn't new, isn't a new truth for God's people. It feels familiar indeed. The story of scripture is filled with stories that say to us, you only need to bring what you have in yourself and watch God multiply it all many times over. <clears throat> Moses brings hiccup speech and a gnarled staff to stare down Pharaoh. And before even that, himself. Now again, it's kind of debatable whether Moses really had a speech impediment or was definitely making an excuse, or both. Both are possible, but... You know, Moses never stutters in scripture, by the way. So, just worth noting. Uh, and the people of Israel were delivered 
David Blink brings a slingshot, which is wrong. He brings a sling, which is not a slingshot, and five stones to lay low Goliath, but before that himself, and the giant tumbles. A pinch of flour and a splash of oil is brought to God, before that the widow and her son, and Elijah themselves. <clears throat> and there is bread for days on end. It is the the truth in the story of scripture, or the story we've watched and read today, and it's the truth of the story overall. You only need to bring what you have and yourself and watch God multiply it all many times over. So I'll skip the last part. But this is a very self-serving sermon, and it's a continued pattern. Like, this is a sermon you can most see a prosperity gospel church preaching overtly from the chosen. Bring what you have. Watch God multiply it all. Bring, you know, bring us your tithes and watch God multiply your finances, which is what and how prosperity gospel churches operate. So they do that all the time. And this could easily be tweaked to do it here. It lends itself very well for that. <clears throat> but uh, the idea of God just multiplying, multiplying easily can be twisted for the prosperity gospel. Just at the edges, this is the second sermon. Uh, it's dominant thought. Those who are living desperately just at the edges of the world are always front and center for God, and they should be for us too. This is a summary of the third point in the sermon, by the way. <clears throat> So, it's a three-point sermon. Uh, this is a quote from the pastoral prompt. While it is true that those who are living desperately just at the edges of the world are front and center for God, it has to be hard for them to see. What is the evidence of their being front and center for God, even in the midst of physical, social, emotional, psychological, and spiritual suffering? What is the evidence of each person living desperately at the edges of the world being no mere person but a daughter or a son? This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This premise is assumed based on uh, the story in Luke 8, verses 40 through 48, but it's clear how the marginalized is expanded to placate modern audiences who are accustomed to seeker-sensitive messaging. This sermon has the most potential to go in a more woke direction, as many prosperity gospel churches are woke themselves. This is a quote from the conclusion at the end of the outline. Given the missional nature of the final movement, the congregation could be led into a time of evangelical evangelistic or justice oriented commitment very much a stretch but when you put in physical social emotional psychological and spiritual suffering and then do justice oriented commitment 
it lends itself to being woke. Did you see me? This is the third uh, sermon in the outline uh, of the chosen's outlines. There are six. We see the goodness of the one who sees us, and we want him to be seen by others. This is a combination of the three points in the three-point sermon. Here's a quote from the sermon, uh, or from the outline, I should say. We are surrounded by people who are gathered under fig trees, clutching to dreams that are burning to ash. Who have you seen in your life who is crying out to be seen by God? How can you help them see that they are seen? How can you help them see God? This uh, is seeker-sensitive drivel, and it continues here. It also showcases an episode where the Chosen carelessly contradicts Scripture. The introduction of Nathaniel, which the Chosen evidently does in the second season well after Simon and Andrew, despite John chapter 1, verses 43-45, through 45, depicting a rather quick recruitment of the Twelve, specifically Simon and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel being in a very tight time frame. So again, this highlights how the Chosen doesn't care about adhering to the faithfulness of Scripture. And it's not the only example, but it's the most obvious one that I'm going to point out here. Uh, the fifth sermon, or sorry, fourth sermon, Come to the Well. For all who thirst, <clears throat> and what, for whatever reason, there's living water to be had. So here's a quote from the uh, sermon outline. This is based on the woman at the well. And again, this is definitely one of the more mispreached passages in the Gospel of John. And this continues that trend. What we do know is that she's socially ostracized. And the fact that she's a woman only adds to her social rejection. While there's a long way to go with regards to gender equality, there have been great strides since the days of the Old and New Testaments, which saw women residing near the Samaritans on the social spectrum. But here's Jesus, by way of compassionate meetup, at a well during the noon hour, crossing the hard lines between the socially acceptable and the socially rejectable, the men and the women. So this sermon includes a call for more feminism. It also treats social ostracizing as a bad thing when it is an effective way to enforce biblical morality. And you should check out the uh, interview that we did with uh, Charles Haywood on you know how to enforce biblical morality and social stigma is one of the most you know, effective ways to do that. That's the ideal way to do that. It wasn't bad for the woman at the well to be ostracized. Again, she probably deserved it and committed a lot of sin to get to that point. It, <clears throat> in contrast, it was good and glorious that Jesus called her. Another quote from the outline. You can see it from, you can see it in the scene from The Chosen, you can see her joy at the end of the scene from The Chosen. Jesus was the one who asked for a drink of water, but knowing full well that she was the one, or she was one who needed one, the one who needed one. And this is a good example of how the sermon outlines treat The Chosen as the Bible. 
So that's what's going on in the sermon outlines. Sermon five, worthy to follow. Subtitle of this sermon or the dominant thought is even the seemingly unworthy are worthy to follow Jesus. If you are thinking that this sermon misses the point that none of us are worthy to follow Christ, yet God loves us anyway, congratulations, your theology is better than that of Dallas Jenkins. The three points in this sermon are as follows. The one who is exhausted is worthy to follow Jesus. The one who has even the one who has even a little faith is worthy is worthy to follow Jesus. The one who is far from perfect is worthy to follow Jesus. This sermon serves to boost people's self-esteems. Here's a quote from the outline. And as you probably know if you've read the gospels, this isn't the only one only time Jesus has to reassure an imperfect Simon Peter that he is worthy to follow him. This is the first of many times to come. We tend to assume Jesus calls only the spiritual giants to follow him. And while he is quite happy for those who are far from perfect to fall behind him, why? Because the imperfect know they need the saving work of the perfect of the only perfect one who can provide it. Pastoral prompt. This isn't a case where some of us could admit we are far from perfect. This is a moment for all of us to admit we are far from perfect. And we all struggle to believe that the one who is perfect would make room for such imperfect followers. But he does make room. He does. But where you see imperfection most where do you see imperfection most pronounced in your life these days? How has it limited you in following Jesus? Have you asked him to go away? Hear these words of hear the words of Jesus, do not be afraid, hear the words of Jesus, follow me. This this sermon references sin. It's one of the two that reference sin. Yet the sermon outline uses imperfection, which is a much broader category. So the the references to sin are because of the dialogue, which is based on the Bible itself. So those are the references to sin in this sermon. It's from the dialogue of the chosen, which is based on the Bible itself in this case. But after that, it uses imperfection, which is way broader than sin. This is often done in prosperity-style megachurches who not preach on sin, and this sermon outline is tailor-made for them. It's also done in what I would call the popularity gospel, or algorithm Christianity, which I have not talked about in a while, so... That's the, um, to me, that's one of the worst sermons in this bunch. Last sermon, pools closed. Dominant thought. There's only one in whom healing is found for the one who is hurting. This sermon is most made for the word of faith churches that do healings. Our first inclination, this is a quote from the outline, 
can be to look at some pool for healing. How do we keep our eyes locked on Jesus alone as a source of our hope and healing? How do we push away the voices that promise healing and never deliver? So that they might not drown out his voice with the promise of healing that does deliver. And in light of where the story goes, let's think more particularly about this. It appears that the man who was physically healed still places his ultimate hope for healing for some spiritual healing in the law. We might think there are miles between us and this man, but it's quite easy for one moment to believe that we are saved by the life and work of Jesus and then the next moment to fret over what we must do to remain saved. There is nothing more than another pool. <clears throat> In what ways do we struggle to believe we are saved? Are the things we're trying to do, uh, the things we're doing to try to maintain our salvation? Are there things we're trying to do to maintain our salvation? How do we keep our eyes locked on Jesus alone as a source of our salvation? So, ironically, this is the meatiest part of this sermon outline, and probably of all six sermons, this is the meatiest part, and it comes at the end, and no clear answer is presented. Now, obviously, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15 might not be the best passage for the topic of eternal security. But I'm shocked that the Chosen goes here, but not shocked that the Chosen doesn't provide any answers. It begs the question, but doesn't deliver. Shocker. So, Evangelical Dark Web, uh, so in conclusion, Evangelical Dark Web, you know, myself, um, has not uncovered any churches actually using these sermon outlines. This could be because the material is not up to snuff for the average seeker-sensitive church, or that the material is rather new, a definite possibility, going back to the backstory of how I uncovered this. In any case, the Chosen views itself as something that can be preached from. And it's clear that The Chosen is meant to placate a seeker-sensitive audience rather than adhere to biblical accounts. So anyway, that's all I got to say for today. My name is Ray. This is the Evangelical Dark Web. If you like this content, like and subscribe. Have a blessed day. We'll catch you on the next one.